Good morning. Welcome to Crosspoint. My name is Bruce Rokas. I serve as one of the preaching and teaching pastors here. And yes, Bible Bowl weekend was fantastic. How about our senior high team? Uh, they did a fantastic job. And uh, it just dawned on me, last week was our last Sunday for um, 50 Days of Transformation, and I never thanked our host families. If you were a host, uh, would you please stand and let's thank them right now. We had like six English and three or four in Spanish, so thank you. <laughs> and so what I thought I would do today is just kind of call it um, 50 Days of Transformation uh, reviewed. Some of you said to me, well, you know, I missed weeks three and six, or I missed, uh, you know, four and two. And I thought what I would do today is just go through all seven of our lessons, but just a snippet, just remind you what it was about, and then give you like the big point or the takeaway from that lesson and review it this morning. Are you with me? Those of you with photographic memories and didn't miss a Sunday, well, then you're saying, oh, boring. But not so. We all need reminders. What does the Bible say? What did Paul say? He said, I stir up your minds by way of what? Remembrance. And so we can all use a reminder. Well, why don't we start by looking at our text that we use. Our key verse was from Romans chapter, chapter 12 and verse 2. And I think it would be good to read it together. So let's do that right now. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's just saying, be careful what you put in here. There are seven key areas that God wants to renew us in. And the first key area we looked at last, um, or the first week, was our spiritual health. Our spiritual health. And we call that message, How to Get Closer to God. And you remember the story we used for that? The prodigal son. And why did we use that story? Because he was close to dad at one time, but then got as far away from his father as he possibly could. You know, pretty much one of those horrible moments where you say to your dad, I wish you were dead, give me my inheritance. Well, that happened. And the boy got the money, and he took off to a far country, the Bible says. I'm just getting out of here. I'm getting away from dad, getting away from my older brother. Can't stand that guy. There was family issues going on here. And this boy had some lessons to learn. While he had lots of money, he had lots of quote-unquote friends. But when he lost all of his money, what? He ends up where? In a pig pen. And it was in that pig pen that he realized, I need my dad. I liked what Tony said this morning. When you mess up, uh-oh, I don't even know how you said that exactly, but it came, came across to me something like this. Uh-oh, my dad's going to kill me. Or uh-oh, man, I really messed up. I need my dad. I like that. that. That was great. And that's what this prodigal son, he knew something about his father. We know something about our heavenly father, no matter how messed up you are and how bad a thing you do, you need to go back to your dad. And that's what this boy finally does. But he had, before he could have this spiritual transformation, he had to do three things. Let's look quickly on the screen. Number one, he had to get fed up. He had to get fed up with his life. And when you're in a pig pen eating pig food, you're about as low as you can go. And he got fed up. Look at this next verse. It says, he wasted it all. 
all that money that he had. He had nothing left. He got desperate and hungry. Some of you have to get desperate and hungry before you're ready to take this step where you finally come to your senses. Doesn't make any sense to not be with God. This young man says, ah, I'm going back to dad. The second thing he did is he had to own up to his sin. I like Luke 15, 17 and 18, where it says this. Watch, he takes responsibility. When he came to his senses, some kids never do. I'm glad this one did. He said, I have sinned. Isn't that good? He, he doesn't blame God. He doesn't blame his dad. He doesn't blame his older brother. He takes personal responsibility. I made this bad choice. I'm the one that decided to leave home. I'm the one that uh, disgraced my father. I'm the one that got myself here in this pig pen. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. Those were the thoughts that were in his mind. And then the third thing we have to do if we're going to get you know, our spiritual act together we're going to have to offer up ourselves. Do you remember when he left home? He was drifting away from God. Luke chapter 15, verse 12 says, he says, give me. He was just in a give me mood. He was a give me kind of a boy. He was a give me kind of a son. He was a give me kind of a child. Give me, give me, give me. And it's all about me. But when he returned to the father, what was he saying? He said, make me, make me a servant. He went from give me to make me a servant. He's now prepared. He's now humble enough to to be really used by God. And here was the big takeaway. Here was the big point that we said according to this verse. No matter how far from God, no matter how far from the Father we get, it's only one step back. And what did the Father do when the boy started home? What was the father doing every day? While he was a long way off, what did the Bible say? The boy went to a far country, a long way off. The father, what? Saw him. He knows where you are this morning. He sees you. And he ran to meet his son. I like that. That's a cool part of the story. Will God run to meet you when you're on your way home? Absolutely. The father runs to meet his son, hugs him. And kisses him. Oh, and this is good. If you've been following the... uh, LV's been sending out a little daily, uh, kind of a Lenten prayer. It's not... We don't practice and observe Lent, but we're doing something like that. And yesterday's prayer, it said something like, and the Father requires no explanation. He's just happy when you come home. Aren't you glad you serve a God like that? The Father, what are you doing home now? Yeah, I got a little hungry out there, didn't you? It was tough out there. What? No explanation. You know, I think the boy tries, you know. Dad, I don't am not worthy to be called your son. Just made me a servant. I mean, that's better than, you know, what I lived. He, and the father doesn't even listen to it. What's the father doing? Uh, go get the best robe. Go get the best shoes. Go get the signet ring. Go kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. He's, I'm just happy my boy's home. I don't need an explanation. I'm just glad you're here now. For this my son was dead, but is alive. He was lost, but now is found. Let's move on to the next one. Week two, we looked at physical health. And we call this one from stressed 
to blessed. And, and I asked you, how many of you want to be healthier? How many of you want to live longer? Every hand went up. And I says, well, then you're going to have to deal with the stress in your life. And you went, oh, that's impossible. I, I guess to a degree it's impossible because, I mean, there's a, a certain amount of stress that just breathing takes, right? But that, that overwhelming stress is a killer. Actually, the Bible says it like this in Proverbs 14, 30. Peace of mind makes the body healthier. So what does a lack of peace do? Makes it weaker, unhealthier. I like one version. The modern speech says, a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. But when it's full of stress, your life is shortened. So we looked at three spiritual habits for reducing stress in our lives. And the first one we looked at was, we need to look to God to meet all of our needs. See, we have a tendency uh, to look to everybody else first before we stop and think about God. We, we, we think of, oh, who can I call? Who, who, who can bail me out of this? You know, or, you know, I don't know anybody that has any money. I need some money. I'll go to the bank. Well, you know, God's the biggest bank in the world. He can bless your life. He, he can meet your needs. He can take care of all that you have. But you've got to stop and think about Him first. You're so stressed out because you're looking to others to meet your needs. And the, we looked at the 23rd Psalm on this, and the, it says this, The Lord is my shepherd. That's a personal relationship with the shepherd, right? So I have all I need. Not all the greed, but all I need. And when I know that He's my shepherd, I I can depend on Him to come through. In our Bible class this morning, we were talking about that manna that fell from heaven on a daily basis while the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness for those 40 years. God says, go out every day and take as much as you need for that day. And some people thought, well, you know what? What would happen if I just take a little extra? You know, God may not be there for me tomorrow, and I just can't depend on God. And you took a little extra, I'll just hide it under here so no one can see, and you take that home. The daily bread was fine, but what happened to the extra that you tried to hide? Remember it rotted? God says, you don't need any extra. I'll take care of your daily bread. And it will be there tomorrow. Don't worry about that. You don't have to sneak it. You don't have to hide it. It will be there. But you've got to look to me first. You've got to depend on me. Most of us don't think about God. We think about so many other things before going to the shepherd. And then we looked at obeying God's instructions about rest. And some of you went, oh, yeah, right. And you didn't think this was a very important, I guess, instruction for reducing stress. But it really is. The 23rd Psalm in verse 2 says, He makes me lie down. Did you know that sheep are so dumb they're not smart enough to know when to stop and rest? That's why they need a shepherd. Anybody need a shepherd to slow you down a little bit? And, And look up here on the screen. Exodus 34 is where we get this commandment. It's fourth on the list of ten. And if they're in descending order, number four is pretty important, wouldn't you say? Six days are set aside for work, but every seventh day you must rest completely. Even during your season of plowing and harvest, you must observe a Sabbath day and rest. One day a week, take a day off, rest your body, and think about God. God takes it very, very seriously, and it will reduce your stress level. Someone said, well, what if I work on Sunday? Well, then you've got to find another day to rest. You know, you find that day that works best for you. 
And then go to God for guidance. The 23rd Psalm goes on to say, He guides me in the right path for His name's sake. May God your number one source of direction. Not Dr. Phil, all right? God is the one, not others. And then number four, trust God in the dark valleys because all of us are going to go through it one day. The, 24th, uh, the, the fourth verse of the 23rd Psalm reads like this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what has to take place? Let me remind you of what has to take place for a shadow to exist. Light. What's in the valley of the shadow of death? There's light. Well, where's the light coming from that casts my shadow? Jesus, the light of the world. See, Jesus goes with you when you die. You don't go through that valley alone. You don't have to worry about that. Oh, what's death like? Am I going to be afraid? Am I going to be lonely? No. Jesus is there with you. He's holding your hand. He's walking you through. Therefore, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. What's a rod and a staff? Those are tools of a shepherd. Who is Jesus? The great shepherd. He's going to get you through the valley of the shadow of death. And then verse 6 says, Surely goodness and love, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And here was the big takeaway, quickly. Expect God to finish what He starts. He is going to finish and complete His work with you. Then week three, mental health. So we got spiritual, we got physical, we got mental. And we call this message, How to Manage Your Mind. And you say, well, why is that so important? Because your thoughts control your life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So be careful what you allow in here. And so we gave you three daily choices for a healthy mind. Daily choice number one, I must feed my mind with the truth. Jesus said, I'm the truth. My word is truth. And so... In this last 50 days, some of you got in the habit of a daily quiet time, didn't you? And you found your stress level was down. You found emotionally you were uh, up. Uh, you found spiritually you were up. Physically, maybe you were even up. Because you followed that daily time with God. You fed on His Word. You fed on His truth. Number two, I must free my mind from destructive thoughts. And we all have them. We're human beings. And some of our thoughts are not all that great. Some of our thoughts are actually destructive. Have you ever had a thought and you said, man, where'd that come from? That's not me. And, and what do you do? Just get rid of it as quickly as you can. And how fast can you do it? I don't know. I'm pretty good with a remote control. and Change the channel on my TV. That's how fast you can get rid of a thought in your mind. You say, well, why didn't God just take all those bad thoughts out of my mind? Well, that's not His job. He gave you free will and He gave you a free mind. He said, that's your job. <laughs> you don't like that channel, change it. That was the main takeaway on that point. And then number three, he says, I must focus my mind on right things. Not just change the channel, but then you've got to fill that channel with some good stuff. Think about Jesus. How about that? Wouldn't you agree that's some good stuff? Paul told Timothy, keep your mind on Jesus Christ. And how about thinking about others? The Hebrew writer will say in Hebrews 10, 24, let us think about each other how we can help each other, how we can serve each other. So I'm thinking about Jesus. I want to become like Jesus, so I'll help you. You help me, we'll help each other. And that sounds like the church, doesn't it? 
That's a good thing. And the big takeaway was this. Third thing you want to do is you're going to want to think about eternity. Every day, think about heaven. If you're not thinking about heaven on a daily basis, then you're cheating yourself. The people that do the most good in life are the people that think about the next life. Colossians 3, verse 2 says, Let heaven fill your thoughts. And then we went on to week 4 where we talked about emotional health. Emotional health. How to deal with how you feel. How do you deal with how you feel? Remember, we started off that lesson by saying that God has emotions. Did you know that? If you missed that Sunday... You need to know that God has emotions. You know, God feels joy. He takes joy in watching you. And you go, no, really? Yeah, really. I remember when our our son was little and he'd just be in his crib. I can remember going in his room and just watching him. He was about three years old over the bad stuff that he had went through. And about that age where you were, remember the jammies little kids with a zipper up the front and the little footsies built in? That age. What is that, three, three and a half? And I'd watch him and just watch his chest kind of go up and down, just watching him breathe. You're going to enjoy this. You guys are a little, little baby girl over there in a few months. And, and you just, I took pleasure watching my son breathe. God takes pleasure in watching you and me breathe. He's into that. I know I don't get it either, but he's into that. He loves us. He has feelings. He feels joy. He feels grief. He feels pain. He feels anger. He feels love. Why do you think you feel those things? Because a little bit of God's DNA is in you. We were made. Look at this verse. We were made in the image of who? God. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. A part of God's DNA is in us. Some divinity, some divine, and some dust all mixed together. And our emotions are a gift from God. Now, how do I manage unwanted feelings? You've got to do three things, really. You've got to name it, we said, because you can't manage a vague feeling. You can't manage a vague emotion. You've got to say, hmm, what am I feeling? And sometimes I don't even know what I'm feeling. So you've got to nail that down and say, why am I feeling? I feel something, but what is it? Figure that out first. See, I must name it in order to tame it. I think I had you write that down first time around. And then number two, challenge it. See, not every one of my feelings, not every one of my emotions, don't automatically accept those feelings are correct. They may not be accurate. Feelings are often inaccurate. Have you ever felt you were so right on something only to find out, oops, (laughs) I was wrong? Ever felt like you were going the right direction only to find out, I'm in the wrong parking lot, and that vehicles not mine (laughs) and so then you start searching and you get your remote out going looking for that beep 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 you're looking but you felt so i'm sure it was here no feelings are deceptive and then you got to tame it you name it you challenge it and then you tame it that means i dismiss any feeling that doesn't make me more like christ and here was the big takeaway big takeaway was this every day ask god to fill me with his spirit and manage my mouth. Man, if, if you've got nothing else today, man, that's worth taking home right there. That's, that's the price of, you know, the ticket today that you had to pay to get in. Every day. What you do is you say, God, 
somebody said it, maybe it was Tony earlier, God, I can't do this on my own. If it's going to be, it's not going to be up to me. I want to do your will, but I need your power. And so fill me with your spirit. And what's the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, kindness, meekness, self-control. Against such, there is no law against this stuff. And so if I got the fruit of the spirit going in me, what's going to come out of me? The fruit of the spirit. And then number two, I need to zip this. One mouth, two ears. God was trying to say something, right? Okay. Then we went on to week five, relational health. Facing the fears that ruin relationships. And our story went all the way back to the book of Genesis. What does Genesis mean? Beginning. Husbands, wives, you know where our problem started? With our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve. And they really messed up. And there are days I really get mad at them when my relationship's not going that well. And I tend to blame them only to stop and think, well, you know what? Give me a thousand Adam and Eves. Give me a thousand Bruce and Janes. We would end up doing the same thing eventually, right? There's just something about us. That curiosity factor. And, and you know the story. We, 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 we always think God's holding out on us. And we think God's not giving us his best. Oh, he is. But the serpent comes along and beguiles Eve. God said, you can eat all the trees. Oh, yeah, they're all ours. Well, except that one. Well, you know why God doesn't want you to have that one? Because you'll be like God. Really? God is holding out. I'm missing out on something. And she is beguiled by the serpent. She eats, gives her husband to eat. Dumb Adam. The Bible says she was deceived, but Adam wasn't. Did you know that? You know, Adam wasn't deceived. Adam went into this with eyes wide open. Just go, okay, honey, if you say eat it, I'll eat it. What a dummy, huh? It's true. Oh, by the way, the serpent knew who to ask the question to, right? He doesn't ask Adam. He goes to the woman. I'm not throwing rocks here. I'm just reading this story. And I think there's a reason why. Who gave Adam the command, leave my tree alone? God did. But God never told Eve that. Eve wasn't even around yet. See, who was formed first from the dust of the ground? Man, where did Eve come from? The side, the rib, right? And so what was Adam's job to tell Eve? God told Adam, Adam told Eve, And they fell. And they hid. You always hide when you're afraid. Fear and shame came into the garden. Fear and shame came into that relationship. Couples, the reason we have it is because of sin. The original sin and our own sin. There are three basic fears that ruin relationships. Fear. Number one, my fear of exposure makes me distant. Are you distant from your husband? Are you distant from your wife? Are you distant from people? There's a lot of, the reason for that is there's a lot of stuff we don't like about ourselves. And so we keep our distance because we say, if I don't like it and I show you that, then you may not like it. And if you don't like it, then you won't like me and I'm up a creek without a paddle. And we don't want that. So very secretively, we hide. And we're distant. We're not as close as we should be. Genesis 3 verse 9 says, God called to Adam. Notice, 
Who did he give the instruction to? Adam. He doesn't say Adam and Eve. Adam. He's calling, men, you are the spiritual leader in your home, and you are going to give the account. Adam, why are you hiding? And remember we said, God never asks a question that he already didn't know the answer to. Don't you know God was there? He saw the whole thing. There's no cover up here. You've got fig leaves. What's a fig leaf going to cover, you know? Adam, why are you hiding? God knows where Adam is. He just wants Adam to know where Adam is. And then my fear of disapproval. See, we all want approval. You know, how do I look? How's my hair? We, we seek approval very subconsciously in the clothes we wear, the hairstyle, the, the kind of jeans, the kind of car you drive, all that stuff. But my fear of disapproval makes me defensive if someone doesn't like your style, someone doesn't like you, you go to blaming. You, you, you go from hiding to blaming. Adam, what I love about Adam, I think I told you this once. If you weren't here, you're going to like this. We said, Adam took it like a man and blamed his wife. <laughs> Remember that? And she blamed the snake. And ever since, she's, you know, women have been calling men snakes because we're snake-like. And so my fear of disapproval makes me defensive. Well, you do it too. You guys probably never say that in your relationships. Number three, my fear of losing control makes me demanding. Ooh, man, we go from distance to being very, very defensive to being very, very demanding. The result of sin, Adam and Eve both lost control of what? Their future. They're now outside the garden. Inside the garden, man, they had a maid. This was the retirement plan. Perfect health, perfect marriage, perfect relationship, perfect world. And now they just lost the retirement plan. They are feeling out of control. And the more out of control a person is, the more controlling they become. And it says there's going to be enmity between you and your husband. It's just part of the fall. And they started trying to control each other. So what's the antidote? Jesus came along and says, there is an antidote to this. The antidote is learn to live in God's love. Learn to say, I'm sorry. Learn to say you are forgiven. Learn to love your mate. And then you can, love covers a multitude of what? Sins, faults. 1 John 4.18 says, wherever God's love is, there is no fear because God's Perfect love drives out all fear. So, how do I do that? Every day I do three things. I remind myself I am completely accepted. Titus 3.7, Jesus made us acceptable to God. Thank you, Jesus. When you took the Lord's Supper this morning, you were saying, thank you, Jesus. Your blood was shed for me. Your body was nailed on the cross for me. Your body was beat up for my hang-ups. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus made us acceptable to God. God's no longer mad at us because of our sin, because all of our sin went into Jesus. I'm unconditionally loved. Isaiah 54 verse 10 says, My love for you will never end, says the Lord. You never have to worry about God not loving you. Even on your worst day. Even on your worst day. God says, I still love you. And then, thirdly, I'm totally forgiven. Romans 8 Verse 1 says, there is no condemnation. How much condemnation should I feel when I sin? 
no condemnation. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The question this morning is, are you in or out of Christ Jesus? If you're in, no condemnation. If you're out, you're condemnable. But if you're in, that verse, here's the takeaway. It really says two things. The takeaway says this, God won't condemn me. Why? I'm in His Son. Is He ever going to condemn His Son? No! And if I'm in Him then I'm uncondemnable. God will not condemn me. But the second thing is, if I'm in his son, I've got the son and the father's protection. Satan can't condemn me. Now, what he can do is he can guilt you and he can deceive you to condemn yourself. But he can't condemn you. Why? 1 John says, when my heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart, and He knows all things. I remind myself, I'm in Christ, and therefore I am uncondemnable. Then we got to week six. Week number six. We looked at our financial health, and man, we didn't want to take a good long look at this because all of us were in trouble on that week, right? And we talked about transforming how I see and use money. And I think our biggest discussion in growth group, I think we went two and a half hours on finances. And, and some were saying, well, we're not done yet. <laughs> and I go, well, we'll get around to that next time at some point. But we said three things right out of the gate. That Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell. And that surprised a lot of people. Half of all of Jesus' parables dealt with mental, or I'm sorry, material possessions. And then one out of six verses in the Gospels talk about money. And we said, why? Why is that so important? Because money plays a tremendous part of your life. It's got power to influence your life for good or for bad. And then we looked at the story in Luke chapter 16 of the shrewd manager. Remember that manager that was going to get fired? The, you know, the, the owner of all the stuff, in this case, the, in the parable, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meeting. And so God the Father, or the owner on the earth, said to the manager, you're out of here. Now go give an accounting. Tally up the books. Make it all straight. And remember the shrewd manager, what he did? He, he called in the creditors and said, how much you owe my master? Oh, you owe a thousand gallons of oil? Wow, that's a lot. Let's just say you owe 600. You can do that? Oh, yeah, I'm the manager. Oh, buddy, old pal, let's just keep this our little secret. What's he doing? He's trying to build a friend. He's saying, you know what? Uh, I, I'm, I'm too proud to beg, and I'm too weak to dig dishes, ditches, and so I'll start making some friends now, so when I'm out of here, I'll have some buddies and pals that'll take care of me. And you know what? The master found out about it. The owner found out about it. And he said, this guy is really shrewd. And, and, on, and on the surface, it appeared like Jesus was praising him. But remember, he wasn't praising his dishonesty. He was praising his shrewdness. He says, because the, the, the people of the world are shrewder than the people of light. God's own kids don't really know how to handle money very well, and they need to learn a lesson on how to use their money. This, the point he was trying to make was, use your money to make heavenly friends. Use it for eternal good. 
Every day I remind myself of three things. It all belongs to God. God is using money to test me. It shows what I love most. It shows what I can trust. And it shows if God can trust me. And then the third thing, the best use of my money is to get people to heaven. Luke 16, 19. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. How do you store up for yourself treasures in heaven? By investing it in people that are going there. And the takeaway for this was, be a good steward of God's stuff. Be a good steward of God's stuff. It's not your stuff. You didn't come in the world with anything. You're not going to leave with anything. You just get to use it for whatever length of time you have here in this life. And then last week, was it last week? Man, it seems like a hundred years ago that Nachi was here. Did Nachi and I share the pulpit last week? That was last week, wasn't it? So many things have been had Bible bowl and funerals and weddings and all kinds of stuff. We we called this your vocational work. God is interested in your career. He's interested in your life and work. And in life and work, you're going to have some giants to face. And we looked at the David and Goliath story. And I think Nachi touched on these four points about dream busters. Before David ever faced Goliath, he had four giants he had to face. Dream busters, if you will. The first one was delay. He was anointed king. He's the youngest of eight boys. And he wasn't even invited to be a candidate for king. If you recall, when Samuel came to anoint his boys, he was out tending the sheep. And that's where dad wanted to keep him. Just my little shepherd boy. Don't touch little Davy. And God had a whole nother plan for David's life. And David had a whole nother vision for his life. But there would be a huge delay between the time that David was anointed and the time he actually sat on the throne. Then there's a dream buster called discouragement. When, when David went out to the battlefield, the, the military was totally discouraged. And what was David doing there in the first place? David was bringing provisions, lunch for his brothers. Because back then, they didn't have a standing army. Everybody was in the army. And the way you, you went out to fight, you had to have the family bring you food to keep you going to fight. Well, for 40 days, no one's been fighting. They, you know, they got out there with you know, Goliath on this side, taunting God's people. And here comes David with his brother's lunch. And he's hearing this uncircumcised Philistine mocking God's people. And David's outraged. David is filled with indignation saying, why isn't somebody, why isn't anybody doing something about this uncircumcised Philistine? You know why? They were afraid. They were discouraged. And that's a giant in your life. You may be afraid. That's why we said don't hang out with fearful people because it's contagious. And then there's disapproval. His brothers question his motives. Remember, David kind of asked the question, well, what's the reward if someone goes out there and kills that giant? And one of his brothers got really hacked off at that. He said, David, why don't you go home to your little small flock of sheep? You cocky little brat, you know, something like that. That's in a modern speech. It's in the Hebrew. Got to know the Hebrew to get that out of there, but it's in there. Just get on home, you little brat. There's some family dynamics going on here, isn't there? (laughs) You you know what? Not everyone in your family wants you to succeed. That's a fact. It can be a dream buster. And then that last one was doubt. 
the experts doubted his ability. King Saul says, well, if you're going to go out there and fight, at least take my armor. And David says, well, that doesn't work. That doesn't fit. I got this sling here. Remember, we said when he went out to face the giant, nobody was going, hey, go get him, Dave. Yeah, you're going to win this one, I'm sure. No, there wasn't anything remotely in the way of encouragement. They just thought he was going to go out there and get killed. But we know the rest of the story. So here's the takeaway. The way you defeat the giants is ignore the dream busters. Ignore the experts that think they have all the answers and expect God to help you for His glory, not your glory. See, David says, this day, the whole world's going to know there is a God in Israel. Who was David giving the glory to? Himself or to God? God, he says, man, when I come back after this victory, I'm giving God all the glory. And that's the attitude we should have. Where do we end this message? We've got to end it somewhere. How about Matthew 9, verse 29? Praise Him. I'll even ask you to come on up. The Bible says, according to your faith, will it be done to you? According to your faith, will it be done unto you? It says, I'm going to let you choose how much I bless your life. You get to decide the answer to that question. Somebody want this? I think in other words, what he's saying, and this is building to next week's message. In other words, what am I going to do with what I now know? 50 days is over. Now what, so to speak? How should I live in this world? Fortunately, God sent us a model on how to live in this world. Here it is. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Anyone who says he is a Christian should live as Christ did. What does that mean? What does it mean to live like Christ did? That's where we'll begin next Sunday. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and thank God. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our God. Thank you for being concerned for these seven key areas of our life. Help me to live that transformed life. Help me to live like Jesus Christ lived. Yeah, I know we won't do it perfectly, but my heart is I want to. I want to be like Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And thank you for your mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.